welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What's happening? That was my new uh, lead-in. What's happening, y'all? I was going to try that for a little while. Probably not going to like it. Probably won't stick with it. But that's what I went with. It is 2.22 a.m. Saturday, August 4th. And I had a lot on my mind. So I thought I'd come down here and do some podcasting. I know I'm behind on a few things. um, And I got a lot of stuff to do. Hunting season is getting close. Two weeks. Two weeks. And I'll probably be packing packing up my stuff. Can't even believe it. I've got uh, a big weekend coming. A big week coming. So for all of you faithful Knock On Nation people out there, uh, better strap in. Just letting you know. Uh, Monday... Monday's going to be a pretty big podcast, um, for sure. I can't give it away, but Monday is going to be a pretty big podcast. And then uh, there'll also be several other big podcasts. Actually, there's two big podcasts on Monday. Yep, Monday the 6th, there's going to be two big podcasts. Uh, One is going to be from me on a topic, which I... I'm going to keep confidential for two more days. The next is going to be a podcast that me, Andy, and Jocko did. So be prepared. The internet might break on that one. Um, Then I've also got some bad-ass suckers coming in. Um... Sunday, immediately at the end of the CrossFit Games. So I'm going to be teaching uh, Josh Bridges how to shoot archery. I've got his bow here. I'm going to get ready to work on it here in a minute. And then I'm probably going to have uh, someone else as well. And then Andy's coming in with his son. I'm going to teach his son how to shoot. And more importantly, as I'm teaching him that I'm also going to teach him some of the smaller little things of working on his own equipment which I think is important this is stuff that uh, any of you out there should consider you know next time your wife or your boy um, or someone that's within your family that you're wanting to be interested in what we do get them involved and so my plan is I'm going to um, kind of let him put a few of the accessories on his bow, you know, kind of get him there and let him screw them down and tighten them down. And then I'm going to let him do some fletching on his own arrows, let him pick out the colors that he wants and then teach him how to fletch and let him fletch some of his own arrows. And then they take ownership in what they're doing and you'll find out that they're going to be way more committed to it. They're going to want to brag about the fact that they did it, which you should have bragging rights to that. So that'll be pretty cool um, going through that. And then obviously there's going to be some good podcasts. 
that are going to come from that as well. So next week will be pretty dang big week. I'm just prepping you. Probably end up doing some live feeds throughout the week as well and all that good stuff. I've got hunting gear uh, disarray right now. I've got to completely get all of my ducks in a row so to speak for hunting gear and I know a lot of you out there are going to be in the same boat so um, some of that I think in a few later podcasts I'm going to talk about some of that as I go through it so that'll be good as well the arrows hit the market and there's some awesome stuff that have that's come out of it and there's some not so awesome stuff the several people it appeared like um, Ace Ventura delivered their arrows. There were several people that sent pictures um, with what appeared to be dirt bike tracks across their arrow boxes, Um, and they were just absolutely battered, which totally sucks, and I apologize, especially since the fact that they sold out. Um, There was a few little growing pains with... Um, learning to ship a new product and then also um, you know a few little things that just like with anything that we start for the first time um, you know it's good that it's good that we kind of have that first order not be I guess well I don't even know if it could have been any bigger but it was good that it wasn't just a hundred percent of all the arrows that I ordered for the entire year because, um, yeah, we, we live and learn. So for any of you out there who received one of those arrows that got trashed by the USPS, I apologize for it. Um, it really sucks. And I've been, uh, trying to give out my arrows that I saved for myself, uh, to the guys and gals that had this happen. So, I apologize about that. Um, one of the things I wanted to tell people or remind people as well is, um, and I know I haven't talked about it in a while, but it is hunting season and it's coming up. And I was in the process of, you know, starting to arrange my gear. Um, I do want to get uh, a couple of my buddies on here again uh, that are hex believers because um, I am a big advocate of hex. I just did uh, a couple small commercials for Mike um, with the their Hex TV show that they did um, because last year I had a banner year with, with the Hex and honestly people I give a ton of credit to it I think it's really awesome and there's some new technologies out there or I should say some new some new things that are testing this type of system and the results are just awesome and I really hope that some of this is able to move into the hunting community because I'm a big believer in it and make sure when you're getting your hunting gear going for this year that should be one of the things that you're thinking about Um, I've been thinking about a lot of different things with gear this year I've been checking out some uh, different backpacks I actually bought a pair of uh, bought a pair of crispy boots this summer when I was shooting in Salt Lake um, and I really 
liked those boots as well. So I've been trying a few new things. I'm normally stuck in my old ways because I have systems that are pretty bulletproof when it comes to how they how they do in the hunting woods. But I also continually try new things. I've tried a few new things and um, I'm pretty happy with it. I've just to give me an update. I don't know if this is a hundred percent or not, but um, Sherlock told me that they are getting closer on getting those sites out. By the way, and I also have uh, this next week the first working prototype of the new hunting attachment. So this is going to be pretty awesome to get that going. I really wish they could have been available by summer, but there were a few uh, production issues and I'm happy that they aren't cutting any corner corners and rushing anything out so it's pretty cool that they did um, make the changes that they needed to make and then now they're obviously ramping up to have stuff ready for target you know indoor target season for those of you target archers out there you know kind of the the deal for timeline so um, it should be good but make sure you're prepared on that stuff. This is the time of year right now where there's a lot of key things that you should be doing um, as a hunter. And one of the things is making sure that you're in shape. You know, we're literally three to four weeks away from elk season for a lot of people. And there is literally no time for you to not be preparing for this and I can tell you worst case scenario if you you know if you gotta gotta do two a days then what I would recommend is putting trying to work your way up to where you can go 30 minutes hard on a bike even if it's you know in the YMCA or something uh, just try to go 30 minutes hard on a bike to where you can really get your legs filled up and make them feel heavy and then get out there and and you know try to get some cardio in and get your lung capacity up that's one thing that i really miss about uh i shouldn't even say miss because i've never lived out there but when i go out west um, i was out in california all last week and i'll talk about that in a little bit but um it just sucks that here in iowa we don't have any of those cool hills to run uh, there's so many more trails, the ability to run in the sand on the beach. I mean, all that stuff is just awesome for getting in shape. And if I had that around me, I would probably be way more into it rather than just running on flat ground, which is why I actually really like, uh, riding my bike a lot more than I do running, so to speak. And it is easier on my body, but if you're kind of behind on your training, you might need to, might need to double down. Um, this is the time where you need to literally be running. You need to be doing some bike work. You need to be doing some rucking. So loading a, a backpack up and just covering miles. Try to get in a state park or something where you've got some terrain to go up and down and just really just walk at a super fast pace and try to go up and over and through uh, with some weight on your back and if you combine those three things you don't need to go out and run 10 or 20 miles but if you combine those three things you're going to really get 
um, prepped. And believe me, you're going to want to do that because the reality is elk season is very close. And if you don't do it right now, you're just making excuses. And if you don't do it right now, you're going to be screwed. And if you don't do it right now, you're going to be regretting it, which is the worst part of it. You're going to be totally regretting it come um, come October when you realize your elk season sucked because you couldn't, you know, you're probably in shape about the last two weeks of it and you weren't in shape for the first two and you end up missing an opportunity so make sure you get out there prep and obviously archery time this is the time right now i can tell you you have to get out there work on that work on the equipment that you know you need to have done if your string looks beat up right now now's the time to do it um worst case scenario you know, a lot of people are asking me about strings, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not gonna rush into my strings. The machines are slow to get done. There's nothing I can do about it, and I'm not putting pressure on the people that are helping me do that. So um, it is what it is. But I can tell you, you know, worst case scenario, just buy factory strings and replace the center serving. Um, <clears throat> there's a video out I put out last week on how to retie your center serving. So make sure you check that out. Really important. Um, most of the bows that I worked on last week, guys that had been shooting them, you know, already for quite a bit of the year, the only thing they really needed was replacing that, you know, their knock sets and D loop and also just replacing that center serving. Um, you know, if I were you, I would get that done. And then once you have that done, get some fresh wax into the string, um, rub it in hard with a piece of leather. So it kind of melts in, be really good for you. And again, do the waxing after you replace the center serving, because if you do it before and that wax is underneath, then that is a big reason why center servings do have some slip. Um, and, a, and it's a big reason why after you remove the factory center serving and put on an after, uh, I shouldn't even say an aftermarket, but when you replace the center serving, the second time the center serving sticks better because a lot of that wax has been squirted out the end of that when it was served the first time on the machine. So because it is just a fuzz a little bit drier underneath there, it the serving will stick a little better. So don't wax it before uh, before you run that new center serving, or you're going to end up having it get a little slick again. Um, and then kind of just check everything over. If you have any loose strands at all on your string, 100% get those suckers replaced right now. Take the strings, uh, if you do replace them, then take your old strings and just put them in a baggie. Don't lose any of the twists. Um, you might even want to just keep the peep sight in it and put it in your bow case as a backup. Uh, really, really important this time of year. I think I think more than one people are going to save themselves if they, um, if they do that because I know... My buddy Torsten, I know, um, who else? Just someone last week cut their bowstring. Um, oh, 
Evan from Black Rifle Coffee cut his bowstring um, when he was traveling. TSA opened it up, put it back together all jacked up. Something bounced around in there and hit his cable up on his yoke and, and cut it. So make sure you uh, pay attention to that. The other thing, too, is make sure you protect your bowstrings when you travel. I have a few questions here that I took off social media uh, to answer. And one of the questions was from Darren underscore 88 said, um, what would you recommend? Um, what hard case would you recommend for my Hoyt? Carbon R RX1 um, and to house my HHA optimizer site. So really regardless of the site that you have, um, there's a couple things that are important. I guess first off in regards to the hard case, I traveled with SKB hard cases for a long, long, long time. Um, currently I travel the most now with uh, the Easton case or a case it was a prototype that I had done I was going to do a travel case a couple years ago and I made one and I just I used it for a while I wanted to see uh, how well it held up um, so I actually travel a lot or the most with the rolling soft cases Easton makes a good one and yeah Otherwise, if you want a hard case, SKB makes them. And they make different sizes. It depends how much gear you want to travel with. And it depends depends as well how much uh, space you have where you're traveling to in the rental car. And that's the truth. Because for the longest time, I always traveled in the U.S. with a quad rifle case. Um, SKB quad rifle case. And I actually just riveted... Um, Velcro straps where it would hold my bow exactly and I would actually travel with two bows um, I just kind of had them um, like I don't know kind of catty cornering each other so I'd have one on the top with the riser facing one way and then one on the bottom with the riser facing the other way and then I'd close them down so the case was was balanced and then I would pack um, I had some egg crate stuff that was in between the two and I'd also pack my clothes in there one thing I want to remind everyone when you do when you lay your bow down or when you pack your bow in your bow case lay it down with the the sight side up and this is important too with the arrow rest because with the fall away style arrow rest or especially the limb driven style arrow rest when people lay them on the rest, you ha you do have the ability f for that thing to get bumped to where the rest is going to get shifted over during transport. You don't want to do that. The limb pockets uh, protect the bow typically unless you have a super huge scope, but the limb pockets will protect the, the rest and the sight from getting smashed so you want to have space up there so always lay your bow down even when you're practicing you lay it on a table or something lay it down to where the sight and the rest is facing facing up and the other thing when you pack it 
when you pack stuff in your travel case, don't pack a bunch of don't pack anything on top of your air rest cord. A lot of people that have their cord stretch, it's because they lay their bow on its side where it's on the arrow rest and there's pressure on the cable for that's going from the limb to the arrow rest. And then what happens is the you know, it's just it's constantly under pressure, so you put more pressure on it and it ends up not rebounding back to the same place, you end up having uh stretch. Now, one of the other questions that I had that I was going to answer this morning, too, is from, let's see, it is from J.J. Betzinger. And he's saying, uh, hey, Dud, got to knock on Elevate Rest. And I'm curious about the cord that it comes with to attach to the limb. Is there a reason you install it? with what appears to be dilute material is there pros and cons to what comes with it or what you use so what comes with the elevate rest is a steel cable and the steel cable is definitely solid and it's probably not going to stretch as much but if you're making several adjustments on that on that bow or if you know that you're going to be moving you know moving things around a little bit um, once you tighten down completely one of the set screws on the steel cable you can't really keep changing much for positioning or if you crunch it down let it up and crunch it down um, just because you're biting the set screw into the steel cable and it just it's not it's not meant to do that multiple times and a lot of the bows that I've been working on um, you know I'm taking them to people to where I'm not a hundred percent sure if their draw length and everything is gonna stay where it's at or if their poundage is gonna stay where it's at so because of that I choose to use the D loop cord that we sell and if any of you have bought the D-loop material that I sell on the website, uh, what you're going to find is it's actually um, probably stiffer than the D-loop cord that you've bought in the store uh, in the past. Um, sometimes That might not always be true, but a lot of the times it is. And the reason being, um, the D-loop material that I have them send me actually has a coating on it to make the dilute material a little bit harder um, so it's gonna have better wear for color and it's gonna have better wear for holding its shape but it's still flexible enough within the core to where you can cinch it really tight and burn a good knot but that coating also helps to prevent the um, the poly cord from pulling through the center of the D loop. Like some people I've seen pictures of their D loop on their social media. And I sent them a message and say, you better replace that dude. You're getting ready to, to pop yourself in the face. Um, it helps prevent that. It's, it's just wound a little bit tighter, um, than some others that are on the market. So it, it's really good. And for an arrow rest cord, I really like it because, as it does um, stretch just from, you know, b 
being out in the sun, being pushed on, you know, you got limbs driving against that. I can just loosen up that set screw and pull that cord a little bit tighter and cinch it down and I don't have to worry about it breaking off. Um, but yeah, be mindful of that cord regardless, regardless of the one you're using. Make sure you lay your bow down to where your arrow rest and your sight are facing up. Um, it'll be the same, you know, it's just like ha most people do it when they have their quiver on their bow naturally because they, when they lay it on their arrows, they see their arrows bending. But when you lay it, you know, when you lay it that way, even without the quiver off, you're already bending your arrow rest cord, you're putting pressure on your sight. It's just not good. So get in the habit of laying it, what I say, face down. Um, it really is the best way and it'll really prevent you from having to do more maintenance on that arrow rest in several fashions some of the cheaper rests out there that don't really have good lockdowns or micro adjustment i've seen i don't know how many times i've seen people that travel and their sights and their arrow rest just get absolutely just smoked um from not being secured down properly i really um i really put a full layer of clothing underneath my bow like a lot of what i do when i pack and travel the way i pack and travel is i always i always have two changes of clothes for the most part um especially when i'm going somewhere for for you know six or seven days if I'm not going to have a washing machine, if I'm not, you know, if it's not somewhere where I'm trying to pack in, but I'm just traveling, staying in a, a lodge, I'll normally bring enough clothes to go for a few days and then, you know, then obviously go again. So what I do is I'll pack a full layer of clothes at the bottom of my bow case, put my bow in there, and then strap it down. Then I'll normally put like my thicker jacket or whatever over the top of my bow. I also have like a little sleeve I made um, that's padded otherwise. And then what I do with the second day of clothes, I'll normally pack my second day of clothes in another case. That way if one of my bow cases or if one of my hunting cases don't show up, hopefully the other one does. And then I've got one set of hunting clothes going so worst case scenario i've got to find someone's bow and borrow it um, but i don't have all my gear sitting in one bag that i'm traveling with because normally i travel with one bag and one bow case so i'll split it up to where i at least have two days worth of clothes in my smaller travel bag works out pretty good um, so keep that in mind uh, let's see here. This is from BLB 8698. Um, let's see here. Do, do, do. Looking. Okay. He's talking about the arrows. I saw axis and I thought you meant axis deer, but he's saying, love the knock on axis arrows. Amazing results so far. Second, I'm prepping, uh, for the season in September. I normally shoot the two smooth. And that is for sure my favorite release, but I'm not sure I'm ready to hunt with it yet. I've been practicing with the silverback and also the knock to it. I notice that I'm a lot steadier with the silverback than the knock to it. Do you think I'm not focusing on my shots as much with that release? 
or is it something else? By the way, this morning podcast is brought to you by Knocked and Loaded Black Rifle Coffee. I'm charging up right now. Mm-hmm. That was good. Um, well, there's a few things here I want to talk about with you. First off, it's awesome that you are getting along best with the Too Smooth. That's really, really big. Um, second off, my hat's off for you to be utilizing all three releases because I can guarantee you if you're doing that, you're achieving new levels in archery because what you're now finding and what essentially you're asking me by the end of that that uh, that question is why you're feeling one way with one release versus the other and this is a really important step in any archers uh, learning phase because the difference between those three releases is they all bring different types of elements to the table on what you can or can't do to execute through that shot. Now with the two smooth, a lot of people with the hinge will find that they're a little bit steadier um, and they have the ability to learn the manipulation of the hand while remaining very steady as they pull through. Now with the silverback, it's 100% not focusing on the pin, but pulling through. And the better you get at that, really the better you get at understanding your back wall how much preload you can have against the cam so that as you let off the safety, you're able to start pulling through that shot and making the shot happen. Now, for some people, they do feel incredibly steady with the silverback, even though it requires more pulling movement. For others, they feel like they have more movement, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have their release set pretty stiff to where the amount of tension they have to pull against the bow is is pretty serious you know once you start getting to that five pounds uh resistance against that cam you're gonna see movement in the front part of the site it's just gonna happen but i start people there because i want them to work harder to get that shot to happen so that they really start to understand the pull through more so than waiting and waiting and waiting for it to happen um so there's there's a balance those two releases are are very different but if you learn the goods to one and the goods to the other and then you'd slowly start to kind of figure out, well, how do I get to where I'm getting the best of both? Um, that's when you're making a huge, huge step. And believe me, you can make that transition. Um, now with the silverback and the two smooth, I just tell people learning to shoot those releases properly 
and then making the step of learning to shoot that release in a hunting environment that is a huge step um, literally it's I would say I would say if you're able to 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 execute um, an arrow in a hunting situation with silverback or with a um, too smooth I would say you're you know equivalent to about a a brown belt status uh, for understanding at least for the release aid type uh, <laughs> certification it's really important that you realize it doesn't matter which way you get there what matters is just understanding that you have to have a surprise shot there's a lot of different ways to get there um, ultimately if you're not able to do that in a hunting situation then you have some issues that I think you probably still need to confront um, not being able to go in the timber and make a shot on an animal without flinching and punching the trigger that's a pretty big step that you want to make sure you deal with because it will only get worse um, so don't be afraid to to try that release you know take it on a hog hunt or take it on a, her a turkey hunt and one thing I'm just going to encourage you to do is as that shot's happening visualization is absolutely the best thing you can do to take that first step of making that good shot with a release like that in a pressure situation just literally walk through the shot and key in on exactly what you feel as you're moving through that release to get it to fire and just you know tell yourself okay I'm gonna pull back you know I know I'm gonna be a little bit nervous that's okay I'm gonna just put just visualize your pin every you know what your pins look like visualize that exact same sight and sight picture just visualize it on that animal that you see coming and just think about you just drawing back and that pin's moving around it's got a little bit of a shake it's okay you're you're a little bit nervous that's cool and then i'm going to let off this safety and i might feel a little bit of anxiety but that's cool i'm i know right now i'm committed to this and i'm just going to count i'm going to pull and count and just one one thousand two one thousand three and i'm just going to pull aggressively enough to where i know that i'm going to be able to get this shot to go off in the next five seconds and next thing you know that shot is going to leave the bow and you're going to literally feel this huge ball of emotion that you've made a major step and it's something that you really need to do if you've been struggling with shooting triggers and anticipating triggers forever um, you're going to have to eventually just address the issue and the too smooth or, or the silverback are going to be the ones that are going to help you do that. Now, the knock to it is for sure the smoothest to shoot. I mean, you know, if you learn, I really feel like if you learn what your shot should feel like all the time and you just get to the point where you have you don't have the, any type of anticipation. You don't feel like you need to make a shot happen. You're totally cool with 
a shot happening if it does or a shot happening if it doesn't it really doesn't matter because you know you the cool thing about a compound bow is when you pull it back it's not like you have to shoot it you can let it down i mean it's not like you just you know cocked a catapult and you're sitting up in there and the only way is down to to just say well screw it i gotta launch this sucker um yeah bows go forward bows come back they go two directions so learning that and learning hey i'm just gonna this shot feels like dog shit right now i'm gonna put the brakes on and i'm gonna put my thumb on the safety jim miller uh or i'm going to take my finger off the trigger and or with the two smooth i'm gonna you know let all the pressure off my middle finger roll that release forward get my thumb around that pull post make sure it's rolled forward and then i'm going to let down um and cancel that shot be the best shot you made arguably and um when you learn to do that then you're going to start to learn the beauty of the two smooth and you're going to start to learn how a triggered release feels so freaking easy and effortless to get to fire when you I can tell you I've been shooting a two smooth um almost all summer I may I there's a very good chance I'll even hunt with it because my arrow flight is just spectacular with the two smooth just where I anchor and how I feel and and just where I have it set right now and how I'm coming through my shot, it is really good. I like it. So I may even shoot that. Um, but I also know that over the course of many years, I learned finger position to the knock to it, where when that finger's there, I literally have the exact same motion as what I do with the silverback. Instead of me taking my thumb off the safety and setting it on my fingernail, I literally take it off my my index fingernail, move it over to the trigger, literally just apply a little bit of pressure on the trigger, and then slightly curl, I mean barely curl, the tip of my thumb. I curl it up just enough to where I can feel that there that the finger is slightly bent on the front side of the trigger and from there it's the exact same motion as what I'd use to execute a silverback and the crispness of it and the ease of it is definitely less and one of the things that's nice about the knock to it is if you do um, if you can get to the level where you're able to do that without feeling anticipation, the beauty of it is with the knock to it, you don't have to be as precise on your back wall tension to get your thumb on the trigger and then start that pulling motion to get a really easy shot to happen. So, the separation between the knock to it and the silverback is this. With the knock to it, your preload on the back wall of the cam, or how hard you're pulling on the back wall of that cam, has to be super precise. 
And if it's not, then what happens is you let off the safety and you start your pulling motion and sometimes it feels much stiffer. And then the next time it doesn't, it feels like the release just goes off right away. And if you're an outside party watching that person, what you'll notice is you can see how much tension is being pulled against the little post that's on your cam. So as you draw your bow back, your cams or your wheels, kind of sometimes I forget there's like brand new people to archery. So some of these terms I got to remember to go back to the basics on. But as your wheels roll around, what makes the bow stop is those cams have a stopping peg on them and they come around and they hit your cables and when the cable hits the peg it's a stop it's like a door stop and what a lot of people don't realize is how much difference they have when they hit that wall and how much pulling pressure they have you know if you had a if you had a hand scale that you held in your hand just like you would a release and you pull back and you're just and you just come to your anchor point if that scale didn't if it was just a continuous number just moving all the time based on your pull what you would find with like beginner intermediate novice even high level archers what you would find is a variation in that poundage when they're sitting at full draw there'll be people that'll be like yep this is where i'm anchored every time and you could look at that number and you could be like mm, you're actually pulling a pound and a half heavier than you did last shot or this shot you know this shot you're barely even on the wall like pretty you know if you let up another quarter of a pound that bow is going to be going forward Likewise, in a hunting situation, people jerk that bow back, and if you had that same type of thing, you'd look and be like, holy cow, they're pulling five pounds against the back wall. I mean, they're literally, your adrenaline, you're like almost trying to break the bow in half because you're pulling on it much harder. That variation there is what makes the silverback tricky to people because they feel like there's variation in what it takes to get it to fire, but the variation uh is most likely coming from your variation of your starting point when you let off that safety now the nice thing about the knock to it is you can be hard on that wall and when you move your thumb to that trigger you're still going to put the same amount of pressure on that trigger and roll the thumb just a little bit and then you're going to just pull a little bit harder and get that shot to break really clean but if you're not hard on the wall and you're barely sitting back at full draw and you're right at the very edge of what we call the valley, you can still do the same thing. Bring that finger to the trigger, curl that thumb just a little bit and start that pulling motion and bam, it's going to literally going to go off the exact same time. Now, here's the thing. What compound bows like is dynamics compound bows like dynamic resistance they like a dynamic pull they don't like static so when people start to become static meaning you draw back and you're just sitting in this full draw position without pulling against that back wall 
a lot of bows lose accuracy and the groups will actually start to open up because they like that dynamic pull versus sitting in the valley. So the reason some people might not feel like their groups are better is because they're starting to just aim and wait and be static. So what I would encourage you is just because you have a trigger, I want you to do exactly what I talked about earlier. I want you to warm up with that silverback, letting off that safety, pulling through, letting off that safety, pulling through, letting off that safety, pulling through. Then after you've done that for 10, 20 shots, I want you to literally load your knock to it on then draw back try to feel some good tension on that wall move the thumb to the trigger curl the tip just enough again you don't if you curl it too much you're going to make it fire all i'm talking about is barely moving it enough to where you literally start to make the color of your skin slightly change color and then once it's in that position leave that thumb right there and i want you to now do that same pulling motion that you just did to execute your silver back and then look at the difference in accuracy I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised at the difference but what I will say buddy is you made a big step big step indeed knowing and recognizing the differences of those three releases is a huge level up for any archer and it's why it's really why I offer all three you know the stuff that the stuff that I'm bringing to the table for the knock on archery website those things are very everything is everything that I do is picked for a reason it fills a gap it fills a category it fills something that allows you to progress no different than the arrows some people you know have only ever shot axis they've never tried the full metal jackets hey it's that's a different try shooting a heavy arrow you know try shooting one get a dozen see the difference and you're gonna all of a sudden be like okay hey these things are gonna be perfect for hogs elk you know anything where i got i need i need some serious knockdown power even for turkeys you shoot a full metal jacket on a turkey with a big cutting diameter broadhead you put a two and a half inch cutting diameter on a heavy arrow like that i personally think it's better because the shock value um you hit a turkey with a lot of force the shock value is actually better for knocking them down rather than a full zip through and those suckers are running off like an ostrich and cover or take flight and then you know it's like finding a needle in a haystack but likewise if you've been shooting the thunder and you've been slinging the FMJs down there then don't be afraid to try you know try a carbon try an axis um i'm pretty sure andy might be switching over uh to the axis for this new bow he's got he's building a brand new patriot 
I'm debating whether I'm going to build it or whether I'm going to make him build it. But someone's going to build it. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be built with uh, axis this time with 50 grains of brass. And uh, he's going to try something just a little bit different. And, you know, we're going to be out hunting mule deer and some animals out in uh, Alberta where the shots could be longer. So he's going to take a little bit of speed. But then he's also going to be able to go right back to um, FMJs come elk season. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. Now, one of the things that I'll do with my archery site is I'll take my archery site and I'll make a choice. If I'm going to be using a fast arrow at one point in the season and then a slower arrow at another point in the season, uh, then what I'll do is I'll use the site extension or the extension bar on my site to play in my favor. So a lot of times people look and I have my site closer to the bow. But sometimes I do have my site a little bit further from the bow. So why is that? Now there's several pros and cons to why your site is the distance it is from the bow, either closer to the bow or further away from the bow. But one thing that I'll tell you is, as a basic rule of thumb, if you're shooting arrow A, let's say an axis with 50 grains of brass, if you're shooting arrow A out of that bow and it's shooting, let's say, 290 feet a second, the scale or your calibration for all your sight settings or the gaps of your pins, the distance between your pins, with that arrow, your gaps will be tighter together and your scale will be tighter together the closer that sight is to the bow. The further it goes away from the bow, the more it opens up. So what you can do is you can actually use that principle of moving the sight bar uh, to your advantage. You have several options. One, you can either keep your sight right where it is and have one sticker, one scale that literally is for one speed arrow and another one that's for another arrow. Meaning, let's say your axis shot 290 feet per second, but your full metal jackets were shooting 275. You could easily have two scales. If you have a Sherlock, you can actually put a scale on both sides of the sight. So you could have this sight. This side is for a full metal jacket. This side is for an axis. Or what you could do is you can probably get lucky and utilize this little trick. So if you extend your sight a little bit further from the bow with the faster arrow, Technically, you're going to shoot the biggest scale that you would need to, to be perfect for that speed arrow. But if you had that bow sighted in with your sight almost all the way out with that arrow shooting 290 and you had a perfect scale for it, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 yards were dead on. So based on what I just told you, if you were to then 
loosen up that sight and move it closer to the bow, what would happen? What would happen is that same scale would then be too big for that arrow and essentially you would start hitting way high at all of the longer distances. I shouldn't say way high at every distance but you would definitely be way high at the longest distance because as you move that sight closer to the bow your scale should be getting tighter but your scale stay, staying the same. So what's happening is your scale should be getting smaller and smaller and smaller just because you're bringing that closer in. So you could use that to your advantage if you're then wanting to also use that same sight for a heavier arrow because if the arrows are fairly close in speed but not perfect, what I found at least at my draw length is I could actually take that sight that's out farther for my faster arrow and I can actually move it in closer to the bow and with that heavier arrow I can find an actual distance from the, with the sight from my bow either further you know it won't be further from my bow than the original point but it'll be closer to my bow and I can find a point where that same scale will actually work with a heavier arrow and the reason it is is because I'm bringing that closer to the bow and technically because I'm doing that I should be going to a smaller scale smaller scale if I was shooting my faster arrow but because I'm shooting this heavier arrow that bigger scale that which was my original one will actually find a sweet spot where it will work it's a pretty cool little trick you have to know your business hopefully you followed me on that um, I know it's a little bit of a, an elite level uh, thing, but it is possible. People ask me, well, should I buy a site that extends all the way out? And it's like, well, if you're not going to be doing these types of things, no. Get a site, keep it fairly close to your bow, keep it in a spot where, you know, I like it closer so it's protected. You know, stabilizer can still protect it if you set your bow down on the ground. Um but if you're wanting to do this kind of thing where you're shooting two arrows, one fast one, one slow one, then this is the perfect place where you could do it. Have your sight all the way out, find a scale for it that works with the faster arrow, and hopefully if your heavier arrow isn't like way slower, uh, if it's way slower this might not work, but if it's within a, you know, a decent realm depending on your draw length, you might be able to bring that sight in, you know, bring it in like two clicks and then, you know, kind of see how, see the drop between 20 and 50, you know, readjust the needle, your indicator needle. So the 20 is lined up perfect at the 20 yard mark and then go to 50 and shoot. And if you're low, then you know, okay, I need to move my sight in a little bit more. So maybe move it in two more stops. Then all of a sudden you find that spot where it's like, okay, now my 20s hitting dead on, my 50s hitting dead on, and if you learn that, you can, you know, if you look at the bows that I build for people, they always have, when I finish up, they always have a silver sharpie where I'm marking the exact place where I have their extension bar forward or back on the bow so that they're always in that same spot. 
you could easily do that. You can mark it, have the longest spot where you mark it, and you could say, write a little note on there, the pen that says axis, and then you could have, you know, maybe it's five dots forward um, where, you know, you end up moving that sight five dots closer to the bow, and then all of a sudden, bam, FMJs hit right there. So something you could put to use. I think you're going to appreciate that. Um, let's see. Other than that, I don't know. I think pretty good. It's, uh, yeah, it's 3.30 now, I think. It's time for me to start working on some bows. I'm going to get some bows banged out. And hopefully everyone out there has an awesome weekend. I know that uh, if you're one of the people who had your arrows destroyed, or there's out, there was a few people too that uh, that I don't know, literally had packages go missing, which is always sucky. If packages go missing, that means we just completely lose everything, and that really sucks. So what some of you may have found is we're actually requiring signatures for certain shipments uh so that's just try to for trying to cover us but for those of you who did have a few issues uh i am back in town now and i'm getting ready to dig through my personal stash try to hook you up hopefully i have enough to cover it i may not be hunting with i may not be hunting with my own arrows on these first hunts because i'm i'm going to try to take care of some people but I feel you guys want to make sure you're happy so thanks everybody appreciate you tuning in and man pretty jacked it's going to be a big big week believe me make sure make sure you tune in monday it's going to be a big one so talk to you later be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com